Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, A Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Victoria, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, November 28th, and we are reading from the Big Book, Chapter 5, How It Works, beginning with the last line on page 69. Today's readers, in the order in which they will be reading, are Judy B., Michelle, Fran, and Sharon. The share number for accessing yesterday's meeting, meeting on Tuesday, November 27th, that share code is 3406. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Lois to read the 12 steps, please. Good morning, everyone. This is Lois, compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry it out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Lois. 
Margaret Kay, would you please read the 12 traditions? Yes, good morning, Victoria. Good morning, Vision, for you. This is Margaret, recovered in South Jersey. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group would never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contribution. Eight, a reader's anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such would never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name would never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thank you, Margaret. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic in the literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book, Chapter 5, How It Works, on page 69, the very last line on that page, God alone can judge our sex situation. I will ask Judy B. to begin reading, please. Good morning, this is Judy B., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater. God alone can judge our sex situation. Counsel with persons is often desirable, but we let God be the final judge. We realize that some people are as fanatical about sex as others are loose. We avoid hysterical thinking or advice. Suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. Does this mean we are going to get drunk? Some people tell us so. 
But this is only a half-truth. It depends on us and on our motives. If we are sorry for what we have done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we will be forgiven and will have learned our lesson. If we are not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we are quite sure to drink. We are not theorizing. These are facts out of our experience. Well, we, we see here that there are many, many, many ways of looking at um, our sex relations. And some people have one idea, other people have other ideas. This is not, the big book is not telling us what we need to uh, believe. It's telling us that we need to stay close to our God and depend on him and ask him to guide us in this area. You know, he will guide each of us in his own way. And is it possible that we will fall short of our ideal and stumble? Yes, it is. We are, we are human beings. We have weaknesses. You know, sometimes we make mistakes. But does that mean it's the end of the world? The big book is telling us it depends on us and on our motives. If we are sorry for what we have done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we will be forgiven and we will have learned our lesson. And that's really uh, what working this program is about. We, we learn from each experience. If we don't learn from that, if we continue to do and seek our own will and have our own way, then we will surely go back to drinking. <coughs> Excuse me. And I love it says we are not theorizing. We are not we are not making this up. We are not um, speculating about this. This is not just our ideas. This this has been proven. You know, we have watched a um, hundred people go through this um, recovery process. And, and this is what works. If, if you make a mistake and you're sorry for what you have done, God will know your motives and he will lead you forward to, to a better life. If you continue to do what you want, when you want, continue to harm others, then surely we will drink again. And, and these are facts. These are, these are not just ideas. They're facts that have been proven. And we can depend on them and trust them. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful uh, information for us. Thank you, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Judy B. Would someone else like to comment on what was just read? This is Margaret. I'm sorry, I didn't hear either name this time. Could you repeat? This is Margaret. Margaret, and then who came after Margaret? Helena. Elena. Margaret, go ahead, and then Elena. Oh, good morning. Good morning. This is Margaret, recovered in South Jersey. I just want to pick up on this sentence, have the honest desire to to let God take us to better things. And this sentence is in, you know, every area of our life. It, it, It is certainly in our sexual life, but 
it is in every area of our life that we really have that honest desire to let God take us to better things, you know, to to turn away from my resentments and my fears and let to let God, you know, uh, you know, take me to to better things in all areas of my life. And I think that that really is the promise of this program when we have that honest desire, you know, to uh, to let him, that that's what begins to happen. And it, it's just a wonderful journey in every area of our life. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Margaret. Go ahead, Elena. This is Helena. I'm, I hope that I can be heard. I'm in a place where I think I have adequate reception. Um, I find this such a beautiful paragraph, and it, as was just shared by Margaret, it applies in many ways to all areas of our lives. And when I look at step 11, where it talks about reviewing our conduct each night and not falling into remorse or morbid reflection, but simply having an honest desire that we would let God take us to better things. And I find that this is particularly true with sexual things. And for me, when I hear about sex, it means to me relationships, in particular with my partner or with people that are very close to me. And this is an area in which I really need to practice. Because, as the big book says, they are not theorizing. This is our experience. Not that we have to be perfect but that we must make amends, we must follow the directions quickly, not if we slip, but when we slip. Pass. Thank you, Helena. Who else would like to comment on what was read? Good morning, it's Leah. Good morning, Leah. Go ahead, please. Thank you so much. I just wanted to focus, my, good morning everybody, my name is Leigh, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I wanted to focus on this statement here. If we are sorry for what we have done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we will be forgiven and we'll have learned our lesson. Um, if we are sorry for what we have done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things. You know, that's what this program of recovery does. It allows me to become that which God intended me to be. And that's not an intellectual process. That's by my submission and obedience to these spiritual principles that we read about today. You know, am I going to surrender my self-will, run riot, and allow God cooperate with his grace and allow him to take me to better things. There are better things out there. There is a more elevated way that I can live. Am I willing to let go of me, myself, and I in order to be available to be transformed? Uh, we believe we will be forgiven and we'll have learned our lesson. You know, this program of recovery um, allows me to grow up. <laughs> it encourages my emotional maturity, and that is done through the increasing development of my trust, reliance, and dependency on God. Um, if we are not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we are quite sure to drink. Well, that is the realities of my. That is the reality of my disease. That is the reality of my disease, because. 
if I am in proper harmony with God, then I have the opportunity to cooperate with his grace. But if I separate myself from God um, and act out of self-will run riot and allow my life to be controlled by my desires and bow to the demands of my disease of self-will run riot and allow my illness to make decisions for me, then, um, you know, then because all action is born in thought, if I am in disharmony with God, then I am going to be in disharmony with other people. And I will always have to pay the piper. I will always have to pay the piper. I am quite sure to drink at that point. Because if I am hurting people, um, you know, then then there will call that – that is the whole purpose of the step four inventory. I, I examine my resentments. I examine my fears. And there's one other area of my life that can block me from God, and that area is sex relations because it can cause me to feel shame and feel guilt and feel remorse. And one of the fastest and easiest ways that I can harm other people is through that sex conduct. So if I am feeling these this guilt and this shame and this remorse, then I will feel restless, irritable, and discontent. Remember, compulsive overeating was not my problem. And that was not where I had a rough time. I had a rough time living. I had a rough time living. These directions that we read and study every day allowed those changes within myself and within my attitude so what it was no longer necessary for me to seek out some substance to make me feel comfortable. The program of recovery allowed for that transformation. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Who else would like to comment on what was read? Uh, good morning. My name is Lisa. I'm a compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Good morning, Lisa. Go ahead, please. Good morning. God alone can judge our sex situation. Counsel with other persons is often desirable, but we let God be the final judge. We avoid hysterical thinking or advice. I, I really appreciate that. I really appreciate hearing that. You know, I've read this. I, I feel like I've never read that paragraph before. Um, but I appreciate it because I recall um, years ago when I was doing a fourth step um, with someone, and they had this big reaction. And <laughs> it um, in my, you know, um, wanting to please and be approved of and all that, um, I have often withheld information from sponsors. And um, I'm not recovered, but I am in the process again, and I'm grateful for this meeting. I'm grateful to so carefully go through reading these pages so when I get to step four, my heart will be open and I'll be willing to reveal and follow the advice here because I want to live and I want to recover. And 
for the first time I realized that I have to do this exactly the way it's laid out. And I appreciate um, being told that God alone can judge and to let God be the final judge. So I'm going to hold that in my consciousness as I have the courage to um, be completely self-disclosing and honest because that that's the only way to recover. And um, thank you for letting me share. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Lisa. This is Victoria, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. I'd like to comment on what was shared. The, um, the thing that really stood out to me about this paragraph, in particular, there are a number of things, but the passage, it depends on us and on our motives. And once again, um, what we do isn't always just what we do, but it takes us, we are told to look at what were our motives in doing what we do. It's a higher bar to examine my motives. And the reason I'm told I need to do that really appears on page 69. We subjected each relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? And that appears in the section that deals with sex relations. In my sex relations, is it is is I am I selfish or not? And for me, one of the difficulties in examining my motives is always a propensity for self-deception. And I can do that very well. Um, as my recovery has progressed, I believe I do it less and less. But early in recovery and before recovery, it's as Dr. Silkworth said, in our disease, it became very difficult for us to distinguish the true from the false. And in sexual relations, that was an area where I had great potential to deceive myself about my motives. And some of the motives that um, come to mind and were issues for me, given that I too was, uh, you know, it's been said sometimes that addicts are egomaniacs with an inferiority complex and using sexual relationships, sexual attraction to booster my own sense of inferiority was one of the ways I could use people. And you know, sexual relationships offer lots of opportunities um, for e ego-feeding behavior, whether it's a sense of conquest, if you're attracted to me, then I measure up. Um, whether it's uh, the desire to dominate and control another person through sexual attraction. There are all kinds of trouble um, that I could get into in my sick state as a compulsive eater in this area. 
And I remember a big book study I attended some years ago that talked about sexual victimization and this chapter and that um, to the extent if, if sexual victimization has been a part of my history, it was suggested I need to examine that closely in terms of if I had any part, and I may not have had any part, I may, and again, I leave it to God to be the final judge, provided that I bring rigorous honesty to that process. Because again, the point is unloading the wreckage and cleaning up the damage, making amends for the harm that I have done others. Um, in even in sexual victimization, it can be it could be possible for me to focus on payback, and that was my part. Um, to hold on to that that sense of victimization, such that I was not free to love another, uh, to be caught in that in in another time, in another place in a such way that I was not free to express tenderness, to surrender myself in the experience of loving. So this whole this statement of letting God be the final judge was really imperative for me um, that, that because of the trust um, that I could feel. And while my sponsor and others who went before me and had longer time in recovery were very helpful and supportive. Um, this rigorous honesty that I needed to bring to the process ultimately was going to be before the God of my understanding. And with that, I'll pass. Is there someone else who'd like to comment on what was read? Anyone like to comment? This is Paula. May this I share? Patricia Price here? Um, yes, Paula, go ahead, please. Surely. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. It says here, and I'd like to start with that second paragraph, that word suppose. Suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. Yeah? What do you think of that question? And I thought long and hard, yeah, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Sometimes I stumble. You know, we used to have a toy, and it was weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. And, you know, I did some wobbling. But then it says clearly, with another question, does that mean we're going to get drunk? You know, I love this part about what you shared. It depends on us and our motives. Now, there's two things. There's two ways you can go. Isn't it always that way? Always a choice. If we are sorry that we have done, if we are sorry, what does to be sorry mean? I mean, you know, I used to say, I'm sorry, like a drop of a hat. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I mean it? No. Did I repeat it? Yes, because I didn't mean it. I didn't really mean it. You know, to be sorry is to feel sorrow, to be grieved at what was done. And that's it. Was I really grieved at what happened? Now, I don't stay with it. Of course not. 
Because once I'm sorry and I come to that conclusion, then I can go on. And that's what it tells you. Let God take us to better things. And that's it. Then I can move on to better things. But then it gives you the other one, the other altar. If we are not sorry, they're the other choice. And our conduct continues. And if you're not sorry, it will. If it's only a mere word that you throw around and has no depth to it, you will continue to harm others. And now, you know that you might get drunk in the beginning. Oh, no, no. They're the change. We are quite sure to drink. And why does it say that? It says we're not theorizing. We're not just taking this out of the air. Oh, I love this one. These are the facts. Just the facts. As Joe Friday used to say, nothing but out of our experience. Thank you for allowing me to share, and with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Let's move on to the next paragraph now. Michelle, would you please read the following paragraph? Yes, good morning, Victoria. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Michelle in Missouri, a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. To sum up about sex, we earnestly pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity, and for the strength to do the right thing. If sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. We think of their needs and work for them. This takes us out of ourselves. It quiets the imperious urge when to yield would mean heartache. And, um, well, that this paragraph is um, is also very well packed with um, with directions. Um, I was told um, that the words after to sum up about sex was what's called the sex prayer. Um, we've been given some step four prayers and a resentment prayer, fear prayer, and now when I am in a uh, questionable situation, um, if this is an area uh, that's difficult for me with my sex conduct. I can pause and pray. I can earnestly pray, sincerely pray uh, to the God of my understanding for the right ideal. Um, who does he want me to be in this situation? What does he want me to be? What is the better thing for me to be in this situation? And I'm, I'm praying for sanity, the right thinking, um, God's way, the right way, um, and for strength to do the right thing. Um, it tells me again that I cannot rely on my own power. I need God's power, God's strength to do the right thing in these questionable situations. Because as I've taken my inventory, I've seen my pattern of behavior um, in all areas um, where I've caused harm. And now I'm looking at my sex conduct and where I've hurt other people um, because of my selfish motives and my self-seeking, my wanting to be in control. And and if it's very troublesome, if this pattern, which I've had for a lifetime um, of, of being selfish in, in my relationships and in my intimacy, um, if I've been selfish there, and that's, that's a hard pattern for me to break, then I throw myself the harder into helping others. And um, so I'm this turnaround that I've been hearing people share about that this Step 4 inventory is all about is that we think of their needs and work for them that's a real turnaround for me because I've been focusing on how other people have hurt me 
and I wouldn't think of um, their needs. I'm only thinking of my selfish needs and from my, you know, twisted mental thinking of I've been hurt, and now I'm looking at my part in it. What, you know, what was my part? What were my motives in this? It was always about me taking care of me, me coming out on top, me wanting to be in charge, wanting to be in control. And, um, you know, in step three, I said, you know, I'm going to have a new employer. I'm going to let God be in charge. And, and if I'm having trouble doing that, if I'm praying and asking for the right thing to do, and it still comes up to me, my, this behavior and these patterns are still coming up, the, the way that helps me is to think of someone else's needs for a change and, and going and looking at it from that angle and changing that perspective. And then it says work for them. I'm learning, you know, all action is born in thought. So if I'm thinking of others, I'm going to take an action. And that's that's new and, and, and different behavior for me. And it is going to take some, um, some work um, in this action to think of others. But that's what God is directing me to do. He's, he's directing me and directing my thinking. Think of others for a change, Michelle. Always thought about yourself. And that's what's going to quiet that imperious urge. And I looked up the word imperious. And the first definition that came up was arrogant and domineering. And doesn't that describe me, myself, well? That's what was in charge before, wanting to, you know, thinking I was all that, being arrogant, um, putting, you know, thinking, acting like God, and, and domineering, wanting to be in charge. I had to be right all the time. I had to dominate you. And, you know, I've been told earlier in the pages of the big book that when I dominate others, you know, I'm going to step on their, their toes. I'm not going to see it, and they're going to retaliate, and I'm going to build a resentment, and I'm going to go to self-pity, and I'm going to feel sorry and remorse, and then I'm going to go to the food. And that's going to bring me more and more heartache, um, hurting others, not meaning to hurt others. So here's the answer. Here's the solution. I'm going to earnestly pray. I'm going to get on my knees and ask for the right ideal. I'm in a questionable situation, turn to power um, greater than myself for the right thinking, the right action, and most of all the power to do the right thing. I haven't, I haven't done that before, but now I'm willing. I see, I see the harm I've caused. I've seen the heartache. I don't want to live like that anymore. I'm being promised that God's will is a better way of living, and that's what I want to do. And um, that'll pass. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Michelle. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph about summing up sex? It's Monica. Monica, good morning. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. My name is Monica. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I really like what Michelle was just saying. And I just wanted to sum up in, in... uh, we're saying to sum up about sex, but to sum up about this fourth-step inventory here, these turnarounds that we've done, that recovery is a learning process. You know, we're practicing with doing all this writing. We're practicing new thinking, and we have this new thinking which can lead us to new behaviors. And so we want to keep practicing this new way of living here that we're learning and we're starting to see here. You know, God is, is, is um, showing us through this writing that we've done that we can look at things differently, you know. And it's, it, this whole process is about putting down our prejudices, our, you know, our old ideas, and being willing to try something new. You know, what do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? And there's such hope here. There's such hope here. It, you can change, and without a past. 
Thank you, Monica. Would someone else like to share on this paragraph? All right. Let's move on to the next paragraph. Fran, would you please read, beginning with, if we have been thorough? Fran, can you press star on mute? Fran out there? Fran, can you read uh, the, the following paragraph? All right, Sharon, could you go ahead, please, and read, beginning with, if we have been through? Yes. If we have been thorough, I'm sorry. Thorough, yes. This is Sharon. Oh, oh, is that Fran? Okay. Yeah, I was unmuted. I'm sorry. Um, this is Fran. If we have been through about thorough about our personal inventory, we have written down a lot. We have listed and analyzed our resentments. We have begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. We have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. We have begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies. For we look at them as sick people. We have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past if we can. And I pass. Thank you, Fran. Who would like to comment on the paragraph that was just read? This is Kim. Yes, Kim. Good morning. Go ahead, please. Good morning, Victoria. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. You know, this book is filled with promises. You know, we often talk about the promises, which are the nine-step promises, but there's promises for many of these steps. And this, to me, is the fourth-step promises. You know, and I, the way that I utilize these is with my sponsees is if, if we go over these. If, if you're not feeling these promises, it means we need to go back. We need to go back and see why aren't we feeling them because the collective experience of these 100 is these are the promises that happen when, we, when, when they are done this step. So it says here, we have begun to comprehend their futility and for their fatality. We have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. And I have to say, I did many fourth steps using a lot of different material. I never felt that. What I felt was, I'm darn right. These people are jerks. I've really proven to the person I'm going to give my fifth step to why I should hate these people. And in fact, I'm going to prove to them why they should hate them too. You know, this is the reason I eat and I am entitled to eat. See, this all makes sense. I'm, I'm the, I am a compulsive reader who should be eating themselves to death. But when we really follow these directions, when we stop putting our own twist on things and we simply make the columns, when we simply look at our resentments and then we look at our fears and we look at our sex conduct and we look at what our part is and let go of what the other person's part is, when we really look at how it affects us, how it affects our, our pride and our self-esteem and our pocketbooks and our, all the fear, when I truly do that in a very simple, direct fashion, I begin to feel these promises. I begin to comprehend the futility and the fatality of my fears, of my resentments, of my sexual conduct. 
I have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. And because of that, because I've begun to feel this promise, because I've thoroughly done my fourth step according to this book, I am leaping towards that fifth step. I want to be rid of this. I understand this is a life and death prospect that we're doing. But if I'm not feeling this, of course I don't want to do a fifth step. Of course I don't want to tell someone about this stuff. Of course, I, or if I do, I want to tell them because I want to justify all my resentments. I want to justify my fears. I want to justify my sex conduct. So these little parts where they give us these promises, it's so essential for us to sit back and say, am I feeling these? And if I'm not, it's simply a barometer to go back and look at it with your sponsor as to why I'm not feeling these, these promises. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. This is Victoria, compulsive overeater. The passage here in particular I'd like to comment on is we have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. This had a huge emotional impact on me. It was like the world that I thought was there, that I thought I knew and I saw, was not there. It was not that world. I was not the person I thought I was. I, when I began to see the terrible destructiveness of my, the damage that I had done others, it was jolting. It was, it could, it had the potential to send me back to my old thinking, there's nobody as bad as I am. You know, that reverse egotism. I am the scum of the earth. Why bother? Why go forward? I had no idea that I was the problem. And this process, this spiritual growth, is not for the faint-hearted at this point. I had to want recovery with all of my being. I had to remember at that point, well, Victoria, you've got two directions. You can keep going forward with the steps and walk away from the food, or you can head back into the old delusions of who you are and that things are okay that let you continue doing what you were doing with impunity. It was the beginning of that entire psychic change, but it was painful. It was painful, and it was really important at that time that I refrain from morbid reflection, and I got reminded of that by my sponsor. And why can't I drift into morbid reflection? Because then I will not be useful to others. It isn't even about me. The other part of this passage that, to me, signals that entire psychic change that we're told we have to have if we're going to stay stopped is we, for we look on them as sick people, even our enemies. This is another complete reversal of what I thought reality was. It tipped reality on its head the people I wanted to blame, the people I thought were responsible for the pain in my life. They weren't villains. They weren't even enemies. I began to believe, and this was one of the highest bars for me to climb, that they were sick people, that I needed to keep 
praying for the willingness to see them as sick people because, in fact, they were. And as my recovery progress, progresses and continues to progress, it becomes the leap is not quite as far to saying the prayer, the resentment prayer, when I ask for, for help to treat those sick people with the same cheerful pity, compassion, kindness that I would someone who is quite ill. So with that, I'll pass. Who else would like to comment on what was read this in this Robin, paragraph? Leah. Robin, go ahead, please. Okay. And then Leah. This is Robin. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I love the word futility. I looked it up, and it's, ser- it's serving no useful purpose, completely ineffective, which is exactly what my resentments were. They just stewed in my brain. But what I want to point out is um, there are a number of words here, and the the first one, in the first sentence, this was what bogged me down for quite a long time, thinking that I had to do a perfect job on my fourth step and wanting to stick with it and stick with it and stick with it because the word thorough means one thing to me. Um, And I was told by my my sponsor, you are on borrowed time. You need to move quickly through these steps to get down to causes and conditions, to take care of of the, the damage that you've done, to move forward, to learn how to be of service. This is not the only fourth step you're going to do in your life. And what I see here in this paragraph is we have begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. We have begun to learn tolerance. And um, it just, it really strikes me how important it is, because it happened to me, it strikes me how important it is to allow somebody else to tell us when to move on. Don't just sit and stew and try to come up with the most thorough fourth step on earth, but to get moving because my obsession has been lifted temporarily until I get down to causes and conditions and move forward through these steps and and get on the road to recovery instead of sitting in morbid reflection. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Robin. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much, Victoria. We have begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies, for we look on them as sick people. Again, you know, they're reminding me with the words commenced and the word begun that I am at the beginning because this is the first action step. Step four uh, is the first action step which allowed me to take a good hard look um, and examine the personality that had been developed through my years of self-will run riot. And through this examination, um, you know, and a, a thorough fourth step, there's a lot here that is is beginning. I'm beginning to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill. This process, beginning with step four, the first action step through step nine, is building a spiritual structure. So a personality change is beginning, it's beginning to take place. You know, the big book uh, teaches me that we cast to one side old ideas and old attitudes, old emotions, you know, to be 
replaced with new ideas, new attitudes, and new emotions. And that's exactly what's happening because tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies, is 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 new. That's a new idea. That's a new attitude for somebody like me. So this process of recovery is where now, through the program, I can be governed by principles rather than my feelings. I can begin to process my life through the prism of these principles and be governed by things that are more elevated and more aligned with godliness, like love, like forgiveness, like harmony and hope and joy and truth. So there's a there's a new governorship going on here. It says we have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past if we can. So again, they're reminding me that from this information of step four, it's so important to be thorough. Yes, to do it at a quick clip, as Robin just described, but it is important to be thorough because what's happening here is I gather this information. I'm going to use this information on step four for the rest of my process. It's going to teach me what wrongs have I done to others. How has my conduct been destructive, terribly destructive to other people? Well, that comes from my step four. What defects of character do I have? Again, that's going to come from this information in my step four. What are my shortcomings? What are my grosser handicaps? That comes from step four. What problems with other people am I going to have to rectify when I get to steps eight and nine? That's coming from my step four. So what's happening here is all those distorted drives, which I have, those instincts have been restored to their true purpose and direction. That happens through this process of the steps. Because my life and the results of my life are based on the ideas I produce in my mind. If the ideas that I produce in my mind are based on me, myself, and I, my my life is going to reflect that. If the ideas in my mind are based on these life-giving principles that we study every day, my life is going to reflect that as well. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Christy. Good morning, Christy. Go ahead, please. Good morning, Victoria. Thank you. Good morning, A Vision for You. This is Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And this paragraph reminds me, um, you know, of, of basic problem solving. You know, if you are trying to solve a problem without understanding what the problem is, you will not be able to solve the problem. So the first step is to write everything down, you know, to figure it out. And there are great tools for problem solving, you know, root, root cause analysis, you know, where, where are all the problems, you know, and this is the kind of thing I do at work. And, you know, you get a bunch of people in a room and what they want to do is they want to start solving the problem. And so, you know, my role is to just take everybody, you know, let's back up and let's figure out what the problems are. Let's figure out what the problems are. And, and of course, you know, in my own addiction, I was not able to do this. You know, just like those people maybe need my help, I needed a whole lot of help too. And, um, you know, I constantly, you know, with my problem with food, um, what I would do is I would try to just solve the food. You know, I'd try to solve the food problem. So uh, there wasn't a diet out there that worked for me. And, and that happened over and over and over again. 
And I did not realize, I did not realize until I was introduced to the big book that that was not my only problem. If it was my only problem, that would have worked when I went on my first diet when I was 12. So for me, of course, first of all, understanding that I have a twofold problem, an allergy of the body, an obsession of the mind. Um, the greater aspect of my disease is the obsession of the mind. The greater aspect of my disease is my thinking. So putting the food down certainly addresses that physical allergy so that my mind is at least, um, you know, then my only problem is my mind, and then I can address my mind. And that's what this part of the big book is helping me do. It is helping me write everything down. Let's write everything down. And we're not going to leave any stone unturned. We're going to shine a flashlight in the dark recesses of your mind, Christy. We're going to have you write everything down. You know, you don't have to be brilliant to do this stuff. But for me, I had to be desperate. I had to be desperate, you know. Um, you know, eventually I was able to turn the floodlights on, you know, but I started with a flashlight. It's like, let me get into the dark recesses of my mind, you know, and every single relationship I have out there in the world, I'm going to write about. I'm going to write about what I was like in those relationships. What was I like? What was the true nature of my thinking? What needed to be addressed in order for me to be recovered? And, you know, I mean, the beauty, the beauty of recovery and how the big book has guided me and how these pages have come to life for me is that I began to comprehend the futility and the fatality of my behavior. I began to look at all of those resentments and all of my fears and where I was selfish and dishonest and bring that to light. You know, let's bring that to light. Let's really look at this. Let's really take a look at this. And, I mean, the gift for me in recovery, the greatest gift I have today in recovery is not that I can wear the same wardrobe year after year. You know, it's... You know, I mean, that's, that's fantastic. I can wear the same wardrobe. My knees don't hurt when I get out of bed, even though I'm older than I started in recovery, um, than when I started in recovery. You know, it's not that I can tuck my shirts in or feel good about myself out there in the world um, because of how I look. It's because I can feel good about myself out there in the world because of how I behave. Because I have begun to learn that tolerance, patience, and I practice goodwill toward all men, even our enemies, even our enemies, even people, you know, that I swore off years ago. I swore off years ago. I can look at them in kindness and love and light. And I am so grateful for that, you know, being that I recognize today that that is the greatest gift, that my thinking has changed and that I have been transformed. I have been transformed transformed because of the instructions in the big book. And I didn't think that was what I was, um, I didn't think that was the goal or the aim when I started. But that is what happened. That is what happened for me because, as Leah said, I do that daily. I do that daily in my life. I do that, you know, I dig in, I look at it, I, you know, name it, claim it, and dump it every day. But it started with that inventory. It started with being thorough and really wanting, really wanting, because of desperation, to change. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Christy. Sharon, would you please continue with reading the final paragraph in this chapter? 
Yes. Good morning. This is Sharon, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Very glad to be with you this morning. In this book, you read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. If you have already made a decision and an inventory of your grocer handicaps, you have made a great beginning. That being so, you have swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Who would like to comment on what was read? We have a few minutes left. Monica, go ahead, please. Thank you very much. Monica, again, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. And I just wanted to... to Um, say about all of this we've been hearing about all this um, thorough written work inventory that we have done here with the fourth step and of and the people here in the book and those of us who have been through the process are saying yes 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 this is what's going to start that personality change but I just wanted to put out there for those of you out there who are listening who have not started this who are so fearful of doing this I just want to say don't be afraid get a sponsor a sponsor will guide you through this process a little bit a step at a time a portion of it at a time you don't have to look at the whole thing all at once and it's going to change your life change your life and it starts with willingness and making a beginning starting you know putting that pen to paper but you've got to start somewhere and with that I pass thank you Monica anyone else care to comment briefly Yes, Patricia, go ahead, please. Yes, I just wanted to comment on we hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever has blocked you off from him. That's that for me is my, my that for me is a promise, but it's also the key to my life that only God can fix me. I can't fix myself. If I did, I wouldn't need him and I wouldn't need you all, you know. Anyway, thanks for letting me share. Thank you. Thank you, Patricia. On that important point, we'll close the meeting. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Sharon, would you read that section from A Vision for You? Yes, uh, I will. Thank you. This is Sharon, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit 
and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. <laughs>